Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Chasing Breadcrumbs. And I am joined by my new friend. I say this a lot, but she's my new friend because I'm going to quiz her all about what is gut health. Anyways, my new friend, Andrea Nicholson. So Andrea helps driven, successful, health-minded people who are trying to live a healthy life, but aren't getting the results they're looking for to find personalized health and healing solutions so they can live an adventure-filled life. Ding, ding, ding with personalized. Oh, we're going to get into all that. Um, Using over a decade of experience in the health industry, training as a nutrition therapist, master, and a restorative wellness practitioner, she creates personalized, ding, 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 packages to give clients confidence in choosing the right foods for their body no one size fits all, uses functional testing and other cutting edge technologies to uncover underlying imbalances and provides them with the tools they need to navigate their unique needs so they can always get the results they want. And I've already warned my dear friend, Andrea, that I have about 7 million questions that I'm going to try to fit into a 45 minute discussion. So we'll see. We'll see how I do. But yeah. Hi, Andrea. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have so much fun. Okay. We will start with the, of course, the story question that I always like to to start with my guests, which is tell us about your story. And specifically, what I'd love to hear from you are those breadcrumbs that you follow, those little hints and nudges that kind of got you to where you are now. Because most 16-year-olds aren't like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an expert in gut health and I'm going to be a nutrition therapist master. And I'm going to be like, there were moments that brought you here. So tell us what some of those were. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for a lot of it, like most health professionals or really people that go into lots of things, it's because we have our own story. And so this wasn't actually my career choice from the beginning. I actually went into forensic science initially and worked in that field for 15 years, but throughout that journey, I was on my own health journey. You know, I had slowly started gaining weight from my teenage years on, you know, I had a terrible diet as a kid, even though I was always really interested in health. My original career path was actually medicine and then ended up Mm. pivoting into forensics. But I think for me, I was always interested in health, but I didn't always live it. And Mm. so like a lot of us, I was gaining weight. My cholesterol was getting worse. I was getting, you know, just bloated and I didn't feel good. And it just finally hit me that I had to make a change. My birth family, actually, I was adopted as an infant, but my biological family all died young from heart disease. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the men younger than 70, the women younger than 50, including my birth mother who passed away at 49. And so by the time I hit my mid twenties, I had this kind of epiphany moment that I was headed down that same path. And that meant I was already halfway through my life. If I followed in those footsteps and did you, sorry, I'm going to, now I yeah, see good. now you're just adding questions to the list here, my friend. Okay. And did, did this epiphany of like, oh, I've got to figure this out. Did that happen as a direct result of finding out your biological family's health history? Or was it just kind of a collection of things that all came together at once to make you go, oh, okay, I got to get underneath this. I wish I could say that I took it seriously from the minute I <laughs> found that information out. <laughs> But no, it ended up being You're like, kind of oh, a that's a stinker. And then yeah. went on with like, got it, got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I found out at 15 years old that my mom had passed away and kind of got more mm. information around that detail. 
And so it was always like in the back of my mind, but it didn't really make me make changes at yeah. that stage. I mean, in fairness to you, teenagers are, I mean, yeah. we feel pretty yeah. invulnerable, don't we? So that's fair. I'll give you that one. Okay. And Sorry. I didn't have any outward signs of right. issues at that age. You know, I wasn't overweight. I mm-hmm. was an athlete ish. I was never great as an athlete, but I was active and I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have overt problems. And so mm-hmm. it was just kind of like, okay, that's something I need to pay attention to, but I wasn't motivated to really right. do anything. It wasn't until really things started changing and I was gaining the weight and I was starting to see heart disease developing in my twenties. And mm-hmm. I had plaques already forming in my carotid arteries and I did a comprehensive cardiac panel with my employer at the time at the sheriff's office and found that my arterial age was like 11 years older than I really was Mm. than my chronological age. And it just kind of all of it together finally just made me wake up and realize that I really was headed down that same exact path and potentially even faster than they did. Mm. You know, that being more than halfway through my life already in my twenties was just really not okay. And so that was kind of my wake up call. Wow. And I think you you used a word in there that I think so many of us with health stuff is motivated. Like, you know, so often, uh, and I won't make this all about me, but so often I'm like, I should probably stop eating sugar all the time. And then I just take an apple and start pouring sugar on top. Like, you know what I mean? It's, there's a difference between knowledge and being motivated to put into practice, you know, all of these things. And so, yeah, I think, Oh, and so for you, it was just a culmination of like just drops in the bucket of the motivation and you hit a tipping point, it sounds like. Okay. Oh, interesting. And so where did, what happened next then? You were like, okay, I got to get this health thing figured out. Then what? Yeah. So, you know, in my twenties, it was still relatively easy. You know, you Um, still have that good, strong metabolism and you're still somewhat invincible in your twenties. And so (laughs) at the time it really was as simple as I started eating better. I started paying attention more. I started working out, which was so not my thing. I'm not a fitness person, but you know, I just sort of started living at least with the basics of healthy living. And that did help. It did help me lose the weight, but I was still tired. I still Uh. had digestive issues. I still had bloating. I still had chronic headaches. I still had a lot of other problems, but it helped me lose the weight, which is kind of that like surface level thing that yeah, like most outwardly, of us start with. You then look healthy, whether you feel right. good inside could be a different story. I got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And right. so then it just sort of transitioned from there where it was like, okay, well now I've lost the weight, but I still don't feel very good. Mm. So I did more functional testing and I took a deeper dive to figure out really why was it still not working? Why did I still not feel well? And it mm. just kind of took me, you know, one layer deeper and one layer deeper and one layer deeper and ultimately ended up, you know, switching careers. And now this is what I do. (laughs) Okay. So, oh my gosh, I have so many, so many questions. Okay. So let's just pretend for a second that, um, I know nothing about nutrition says the lady who pours sugar on fruit, um, functional testing. Why don't, why don't you just for fun, give me the one-on-one on what that actually means. I think most of us are familiar with, you know, blood testing and things that your doctor might run. This Mm -hmm. is on those same tracks, but it's a little more detailed. So it could be a blood test. 
It could be a urine test. It could be a saliva test. It could be a stool test. There's a whole wide range of testing that can be done depending on what's going on with the person. And then generally when it's referred to as functional testing, when we're doing this more specialized testing, we're also comparing the values or the results that come from this testing to optimal levels, not just reference ranges, not just the average population, but we're actually trying to see how you are compared to optimal. And optimal meaning like, oh, the dream, like just the, like, the, you feel fan freaking tastic. Like that's what we're meaning when we say optimal. Exactly. You don't have any evidence of imbalance. You don't have anything that's like trending towards a disease. These tests aren't generally looked at in the scope of diagnoses. That's not the point. We're not trying to diagnose disease or treat an illness. They're telling us where the imbalances are so that we can try to bring that back into balance. Because when you're in balance, you're generally healthy. So we're trying to find those imbalances and bring it back in. Okay. And I'm guessing that's where you use the word personalized. And I know when we first, you know, got into touch with each other and I was like, surely there's not like one right thing for everyone. You're like, no, oh my God, no. (laughs) Like what is correct for this person and this, whatever their hormone stuff is and their gut health, which I want to get into will not be correct for the next person. So I'm assuming that also informs to your point, like what is actually the correct thing for that individual versus you know, I, one of my pet peeves with knowing, I don't know about nutrition. So I see stuff in the newspaper. That's like blueberries are good for you. I'm like, yeah. And they probably are like, I'm blueberries. That seems like a safe bet, but like, what else, what else are you, what else is going on to the plate? Because it's not like, you can't just go, well, I'm eating blueberries. So I'm good. No cancer for me. Like that's, it doesn't work that way. Absolutely. And in reality, blueberries might actually be something you're sensitive to. So they might oh. actually be the exact wrong food for you. Right. Right. That's where the personalization really has to come in. Yeah. What medications are you on? How active are you? Where do you live? What else are you eating? What does your overall composition look like? What exercise are you doing? What kind of exercise? How intensely? How stressful is your job? How much are you mm. sleeping? There's just so many factors that I can't just say, eat more broccoli and chicken and you'll be super healthy (laughs) and you're good. Thumbs up. (laughs) Those might actually be the wrong foods for you. Yeah. So we really do have to take into personal account and not only like food sensitivities and those kinds of things that can change which foods are right for you, but what do you like? It, it doesn't do you any good for me to sit here and tell you, you should eat these five things that you're like, I don't like any of these. You're not going to stick with that. It's never going to work. Oh my God. You have to actually be interested in the foods that you are going to consume and they really need to be the right foods for you and your goals. Yeah. Oh, it's like this perfect kind of company. Perfect. Not the best word. You know what I mean? This like combination of what are you actually going to eat? Not just tell me you're going to eat and then go back to your daily life. I'm not eating those like peaches. She read, I hate peaches. Like what are you actually going to realistically eat? And I think, I think that is, I admit where I struggle sometimes with the health and wellness industry is it's, I look, it'd be great if I was motivated to work out three times a day and go for two walks every day and only eat plant-based nutrition and, but I'm not, so I'm not going to do that. I should. Sure. Fine. You're right. I should, 
but I'm not. So can we find something that I might actually realistically do? And I love that you, that's part of your personalization too, is like that motivation word. Like, are you going to do this? Because there's no point if you're not. Right. Oh, so good. And it may also be something that like, maybe someday you will, but that's Mm. not where we start at. Like things all change. Oh, such a good point. There's foods that I eat now that I would never have touched as a kid. And there are things that I loved as a kid that I wouldn't touch now. Yeah. And same thing with exercise. Like it, it just changes. And so sometimes we just have to be willing to start where we are, Mm -hmm. make whatever changes we're willing to make and know that you can always take it to the next level later, Mm -hmm. or you can always pivot and make a change later. You don't have to start at perfection today. Yeah. Or also like, we're not talking about this is now your diet for the rest of your life. Like you never get to eat peaches again. I don't know why I think this peaches are in season in my province, <laughs> yeah. by the way, I keep thinking about peaches anyway. Like it's just, this is correct now. And then we get to reevaluate and then we get to reevaluate. And then every season comes with different things. And I'm sure again, hormonal stuff, right? Like for women that changes literally every month and in different seasons of our seasons of our life, it is different. And that I'm assuming also impacts what is correct and and optimal. I think you use the word optimal, which I love. Um, Oh, that's so good. Okay. Okay. So I have to pivot now Yeah, because Andrea, um, I always thought gut health was just like, does your tummy hurt or not? Um, Turns out, it, I think it's a bit more than does your tummy hurt or not. So can you give us the gut health 101? Like when you're talking about gut health, appreciate, we don't have time for you to give us like the 17 week program. We actually need to understand it, but give us the highlights of what we're talking about with gut health. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the high level thing would be those overt symptoms. So mm. do you have chronic diarrhea or constipation or bloating or gas or pain? Those are the kind of obvious things that would tell you there's a problem, but below that there can be things like, do you get sick often? Mm. Do you have skin conditions? Do you have like, is your hair falling out? There's a lot of things that can not be obviously connected to the gut that really are connected to the gut. Your gut is your primary immune system. That's the, one of the first layers of defense against incoming bacteria and viruses and parasites because our stomach acid is designed to help kill those off. You know, our gut intentionally has bacteria in it, but that's part of our immune system. So we need the right kinds of bacteria. We don't Mm. want the pathogens or at least not in high quantities. So there's a whole balance to it, but also our neurotransmitters are often made in the gut. Our hormones are often made in the gut. You're blowing my mind. This is so cool. So, oh my gosh. So, so things like mental health is impacted by your gut as well. A hundred percent. Get out of here. Oh my gosh. I'm just like sitting at your feet. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Anxiety, depression, mood swings. A lot of those can actually come down to imbalances in the gut. You might have a yeast overgrowth that's causing your sugar cravings. You might have a parasite that's waking you up at night and that's contributing to sleep imbalances that are causing you to be cranky. Like there's so many things that can be causing the whole range of chronic illnesses and just even chronic symptoms. It doesn't even have to be a full on like disease, but just, I can't sleep well, or I Mm. have eczema or I have just low energy in general. All of these things can come back to gut imbalances. 
And it's not just with the bacteria and parasites and those sorts of things, but it's also the enzymes that you need to properly break down and absorb your food. Hmm. If you don't have the right enzymes, that food just goes right through you, or it just sits and stagnates. Hmm. Either one is not good. And those will ultimately lead to some of the other overt symptoms, but you want to catch it before it gets to that point. So we need to make sure that your enzymes are working properly, that the muscles of the digestive tract are working properly. It's not just about the gut, but frequent allergies or sinus Mm. issues, just so many things come back to a gut health foundation. So good. And, you know, I think you, you said something in there. I think so many of us, myself included, just accept things. And we're like, oh, that's just the way I am. Oh, I'm just always tired. Oh, I'm always just a little bit bloated. Oh, I'm always just this, or, oh, I've always got a, and we just accept and well, acceptance is great. Well, you know, (laughs) fantastic. Um, What do you find motivates people to actually seek you out to say, Hey, I don't have energy ever. I have frequent headaches all the time. I'm always bloated and I've accepted it. And now I kind of want to know if I have to accept it or if maybe there's some shifts, like what is that moment that gets people to think maybe I don't have to just put up with this? Yeah. Sometimes it's that they actually did get a diagnosis. Okay. A lot of times that's a major, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it really is a major diagnosis, but other times it's that they're tired of having to say no to things. They're tired Mm. of not being able to take the adventure, go kayaking, go hiking, whatever that is. They're, they, they don't feel like they're capable of doing those things and they're tired of missing out. It may actually be a podcast like this and they're learning that they don't have to live with it Mm. and just understanding that if you pay attention to what's going on with your body, a lot of times you can fix it. It doesn't Mm. just have to be something you live with. So sometimes it's a real diagnosis. Sometimes it's just a level of awareness and realizing that you don't have to live with it. It's not a normal part of just getting older or Mm. it doesn't just have to be your constitution. It can be, it can be changed. Mm. Like I'm even now imagining things like that again, that we just accept as part of getting older, but like achy knees, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that nutrition solves all problems all the time, but I'm wondering how much of these things that we accept actually could be, if nothing else influenced by, you know, what we're taking into our body. Absolutely. Nutrition mm-hmm. isn't going to be the cure-all for sure, but sure. It as is nothing foundational. is, of course. Right. Yeah but it is the foundation. If you're not adequately taking in nutrition and then properly breaking it down and then actually absorbing it and putting it to use, it doesn't much matter how clean your diet is. If you're not mm. actually getting those nutrients where they need to go. And a lot of that starts with the gut. Mm. And what did you, <laughs> so I promised you that I wouldn't just like grill you, but I am just grilling you, but it's so interesting. Okay. What when you first started going down this path of understanding this for yourself, what were some of the bigger surprises for you? You know what I mean? Those things that you're like, oh, this is a healthy thing to do. And then it turns out, oh, for me, this isn't actually healthy or, or not optimal anyways. Like what were some of those things that surprised you? One of the big ones for me, when I first started going down specifically the gut health piece, because I was really curious as to why I was bloated and tired all the time. And I, that ultimately took me to the gut health piece. One of the things that was the most shocking to me was 
at the time I was eating a very clean whole foods based plant based diet. So I was eating primarily vegetarian, although I did have some eggs and seafood in there once in a while, Mm -hmm. primarily plant-based. And when I did this deeper level testing, I found out that a lot of the foods I was eating, I was sensitive to. So I was actually contributing to inflammation in my body. I was chronically deficient in adequate protein, in healthy fats, Mm. in fat soluble vitamins, because you have to be consuming fat in order to absorb and use fat soluble vitamins. If you're not eating much fat, I can almost guarantee you're deficient in those vitamins. That would Mm. be A, D, E, and K. Well, I think Mm. over the last couple of years, a lot of people have become familiar with vitamin D and all Mm. of the vast amounts of things that it does. Well, A, E, and K are equally important and you can't absorb any of those if you're not bringing in enough healthy fats. Mm. So that was one of the big things is just how many nutrient deficiencies I had following that diet. And that really vegetarian eating wasn't serving me as much as I thought it was. It wow. Interesting. turns out that uh, plants are all carbohydrates. <laughs> so I actually Funny was causing <laughs> blood sugar imbalances. I had insulin resistance. I had a, a lot of different conditions going on because I was eating nothing but plants, even though they're vegetables, they're all great. I wasn't doing the Dorito sure. Oreo yeah. version sure. of vegetarian. I was eating whole plants. And I was still having all of these chronic issues. So for Mm. me, it meant that wasn't the right way to eat. Mm. And I, I think that's actually a pretty common thing, especially with the healthy fats and the proteins. It's really difficult to get adequate protein specifically from a vegetarian diet. You can do it, but it's very difficult. You have to pair things properly. You have to supplement Mm. properly. There's a lot to it. Most people aren't putting that much love, that much effort in. And so you end up with these deficiencies that do lead to muscle loss, bone loss, Hmm. you know, digestive issues. You need protein to stimulate your digestive system to actually Hmm. release some of the enzymes. If you're not eating enough protein, you're not stimulating stomach acid release. You're not stimulating some of the enzymes to be released to then break down your food. So it leads Hmm. to all of the chronic digestive problems when you're not taking in the right food to begin with. So for me, vegetarian diet was just all wrong. And I really did need to add back in the animal proteins. Wow. Oh, and I, exactly what you said, like you, this wasn't you eating Doritos and Oreos, like you were eating very healthy food, but was it optimal for you? Not so much. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, okay. I, mm, what, okay. I'm just going to admit to you. I, I have a love affair with sugar, Andrea. Like, real. I just, I love it. I know I, I know I quote unquote shouldn't, but I do. So talk to me about why maybe adding spoonfuls of sugar onto things is possibly an incorrect choice for me. Knowing you haven't seen my testing and you haven't run any, you know, lab work on me, but it's probably a safe bet that maybe I shouldn't, um, <clears throat> for my body eat so much sugar. So tell me, Convince me why I might want to break up with my best friend, sugar. Well, there's a bunch of different reasons. Uh, for one, it's not providing any nutrition. Tastes so good. So it's, it does taste good. It's okay. very <laughs> addicting. So you are by no means alone in this struggle. Oh, yeah. The reason why the food industry loads sugar into everything because it's addictive and it makes you buy more and they make more money. And wait, 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 is that true things. of things like obviously desserts, but is that true of like savory things too? 
it can be. If you really read oh, labels, a lot of like say breakfast sausage, it's not a sweet food for the most part, unless you're getting like maple sausage right. you, that you would expect to have maple syrup in it. But most sausages have added sugar. Most oh, condiments have added sugar. Most like salsa and spaghetti sauce have added sugar. Huh. If you read labels, there's added sugar in most products that are made that are pre-made, huh. you know, not right. just one ingredient. So you really do want to pay attention. So that would be the first thing is that you're not getting any nutrition from the sugar. You're just getting literally empty calories. So you're right. adding energy that doesn't provide any nutrition with it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is blood sugar, blood sugar and insulin are keys just as much so as gut health is they're key to preventing chronic illness. So if you have high blood sugar, you by the very nature of high blood sugar have elevated insulin because insulin's main role, it has a whole bunch of roles, but its main role is in controlling blood sugar because having too high or too low blood sugar is toxic. And so insulin comes in to allow the sugar out of the blood and into the cells. But if you're not burning that energy, if you're not working out, if you're not active in the moment, that sugar is getting converted primarily to fat. Mm. And so now you're increasing your fat that starts a lot of times in the liver. Well, then you end up with fatty liver, which contributes to all kinds of digestive issues. And it just goes downstream. The more insulin you have, the more likely you are to be insulin resistant just by the very nature of it always being present. Right. Yeah. Almost like that habituation type of response. Yeah. 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 No different than a drug user or anybody else that needs a higher dose um, right. to get the same effect. Insulin is the same way. And insulin resistance is linked to all of the major chronic diseases, mm -hmm. heart disease, cancer, diabetes, you name it. It's associated with even like vision loss and hearing loss. It's associated oh. with pretty much all decline. So that would be kind of, a, you know, obviously a major reason why cutting back on sugar specifically would be a good idea. And the third major reason is your gut health. The mm. sugar is feeding the wrong microbes. It's feeding all of the pathogens and the yeast and the bacteria that you don't want. And it's actually causing you to crave more sugar. I know. And I think that one is true. Like, I know we shouldn't throw around the word addict because obviously that is like a big mental health thing. That being said, sugar <laughs> calls my name. Like, it's just like, please eat these Sour Patch Kids. They'll make you happy. Like I have a whole, yeah, I have a whole thing with candy and sugar. Um, it, yeah. it is actually, they've shown that it does light up the same reward center in the brain as drugs. So it literally is. Addictive. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So true. And then, okay. So let's say for a second, a listener and, or myself is like, Hmm, that sounds great. But I can't do it. Like, what do you feel like would be a, a baby step? Like, what do you suggest to people who are like, I can't go cold turkey can't do it. I need my Sour Patch Kids. What could be like, it's just, just like stepping in the right direction, like a substitution or a different, something to add. Like, what would you say? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different strategies. So it kind of depends on what that treat is that you're really struggling sure. to give up. Um, so there could be a substitution that we could put in place that would be mm. still fulfilling that, you know, sweet 
treat, but maybe doesn't have as many added sugars or added mm-hmm. chemicals in it. It would be at least a healthier version that maybe would even provide some nutrition along with it. There are some other sweeteners that aren't or so far have not been found to be harmful. So for some people that's like stevia, mm-hmm. not everybody likes the taste of stevia. So that one doesn't work for everyone, but one that a lot of people do seem to really like, or two, I guess would be monk fruit. And, um, allulose is a a newer kid on the block, but it's actually, Mm. both of those are showing beneficial attributes for gut health and nutrition and Mm -mm. some of those things. So those would be two that I think really do work well for a lot of people. And there's more and more products that are on the market now that have those as sweeteners instead of so much added sugar, Mm. some combine. And so you end up with a couple different kinds. You might have some real sugar and some of these sweeteners and some just wholly replace the sugar with these Mm. other sweeteners. So I think that that can be a good baby step. It's still not optimal because generally these things are still in lower quality foods, but they can be a great stepping stone to Mm. get off of the fully artificial or fully um, raw sugar, you know, form Mm. that doesn't have the nutritive value. So that can be a good baby step. Mm. Another one would just be looking at the rest of your diet. If you're eating foods that are fully satiating you, that you actually enjoy, that you feel satisfied after eating. A lot of times you either don't have room for those extra treats, or you just don't crave them as much because Mm. you're, you're satisfied with your food. If you're enjoying the rest of your meals, you might not need so many treats. Okay. So here, (laughs) keep on grilling Andrea. Here is another question that I have, and I'm curious if we agree on this. So some of what I see in the health and wellness space is this concept that like food should not be pleasure. Like food is fuel, food is health, food is medicine. It should not be pleasure. And on one hand, I, I get, it. I totally understand the idea of it shouldn't be used as numbing. It should like, cause I am, I am always one to eat my feelings. Like I, you give me any unpleasant emotion. I can stick sugar and trans fat on there and, and turn it into joy. Like this is, this is my thing that I'm working on. Right. So I, I understand the idea of like, it shouldn't be used to replace, you know, experiencing your life and not numbing out and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, I mean, we are wired to taste and enjoy food. So I, I struggle with the idea of like completely divorce pleasure from food because I mean, we have a, most of us have a tongue and taste buds. And like, to your point, we have centers in our brain that lights up when we've had something savory or sweet or tangy or, and I just think it's so weird to try to pretend that isn't happening, but I'm open to having my mind changed thoughts. What is your reaction to that type of concept out there? I actually agree with you. I think there's a little bit of both sides of it. I okay. do think to the extent that we can, we should not use food as a reward, right? You know, okay. it, it defeats Fair. the purpose. If you're like trying to lose weight and you're going to reward yourself by going to ice cream, like <laughs> if I do this workout. I'm allowed to have half a donut. It's like, right. Wait a minute. Those kinds of things generally aren't helping you build your habits. Fair. But when you are eating, I think you should strive to make your food as healthy as possible that you still love, mm. that you still look forward to eating. Now that may change over time. I used to consider myself an absolute foodie. I just loved food. I loved all the variety. I loved all the things. And Oddly enough, the healthier I got with my eating, the less I care about food now. 
Oh, interesting. Wasn't an intentional thing that I did. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, I'm going to not care about food anymore. That's my goal. It just kind of. Yeah. Now I can eat because I'm hungry and it frustrates my husband because he's always like, what do you want to eat? And I'm like, I don't care. It's just food. Like, so, you know, there's pros and cons to it. It can start some fights, but, um, I I just think it's a natural transition that we kind of get to that point where Mm. food does sort of lose its luster. Now that doesn't mean we don't still go out to dinner when we're celebrating or have a big holiday meal or whatever, but it just kind of isn't the go-to reward thing anymore. I would much rather go on some kind of adventure or, you know, have an experience than revolve everything around all of my meals now, Mm. but I still make good food. I Mm. still make food that I enjoy eating. Even if it's not like, Oh, I need spaghetti or I need, you know, it's not because of a craving where it used to be really craving based. Yeah. Now it's just, I want to enjoy the food I'm eating, but it's not because it's a reward. So there's kind of a small mindset shift that happens. And I think you can't white knuckle your way to that transition. You Mm -hmm. just sort of have to keep up leveling your eating habits. And eventually you look back and you're like, Oh, weird. I don't even crave that anymore. It just sort of happens naturally, but I don't think we can force it. So I think we just have to raise our level of awareness and eventually food becomes less of that. Well, and what it sounds like to me, you're saying is it's not that you've taken the pleasure out of food. It's that you have done enough work that you've taken like the emotional hook out of it more so than like, it's not like you're just eating. Yeah. I eat dry oats. Mm, like you're <laughs> right. still eating something that you find pleasurable, but you don't have an emotional attachment. I get that's what it sounds like to me anyway. Yep. Okay. Okay. The one other question that I can't not ask you, even though like it might be controversial is Andrea, every time I turn around, there's some new fad diet of like, you know, what's the, it's not called carnivore diet, but something like that, or like, whatever, whatever there the is thing a carnivore. is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you see that stuff and just, does your head explode? Cause they, cause the claims and don't get me wrong. I'm sure some of these diets are perfect for some people, but the claims are very rarely, this might be right for you. Maybe it's like, this is the way to lose weight. And it is usually about weight. Let's be honest. Sometimes health, usually weight. What are you like, what happens in your brain when you see the latest grapefruit and turmeric diet or whatever the thing is? Yeah. Some of them make my head explode. Like okay. you said, the grapefruit <laughs> and turmeric diet or whatever Those, those, I mean, if it sounds like it's a miracle cure, run away, yeah. run away. It's not making you healthier. It's probably going to dehydrate you and cause all kinds of nutrient deficiencies. So I definitely don't subscribe to any of those. Okay. Okay. But I do think there's a time and a place for some of the specialty diets. And I think there's a distinction between a fad and a strategic way of eating. So carnivore is one example of that, where it's kind of become a fad thanks to social media. Okay. People aren't necessarily using it appropriately or even in the right people, Mm. but it's become a weight loss trend. I don't think that's the right way to approach a diet like carnivore. I think the people who find the most benefit from a strategic way of eating like carnivore are people who are trying to reduce or reverse a particular condition. A lot of people who have autoimmune conditions or other kind of inflammatory situations 
do tremendously well on a diet that's exceedingly restrictive like carnivore. Mm. The same can be true for going on a plant-based vegan diet temporarily. Okay. Mm-hmm. Either extreme can be beneficial in the right people at the right time for the right reasons. They really, mm. they become dangerous when they are approached like a fad diet. Like I'm going to do this diet for three weeks to drop 15 pounds. That's not right. the right reason to do any style of eating. There really should be a strategy behind why you want to follow a particular style of eating. Do you need to increase your level of micronutrients really fast? Because maybe you're trying to work on an autoimmune condition or boost your immune system for, you know, you're going to be in the Congo or something and you want your immune system as strong as possible. So you don't pick up whatever is endemic Mm -hmm. to that area. There might be a time and a place to go really high on say vegetables or juices, vegetable juices that really load you up with those micronutrients. Does that make sense on a daily basis for the average person? No. And that's not a sustainable way to live Mm -hmm. if you're not trying to reverse some kind of condition. And the same can be true for, you know, carnivore. That one is tremendously valuable for people with certain autoimmune conditions because you're removing a lot of the plant toxins that are causing the flares, like mm. gluten and oxalates and phytic acid. Ask you about gluten and why it's yeah, the gluten seems to have become public enemy number one, and I'm so curious about that. Yeah. Gluten is kind of a tricky one and you'll get lots of opinions from a lot of different experts (laughs) on whether or not everyone should remove all gluten. Mm. I'm not a hundred percent on, on the train that everyone should remove it all the time. I do think it's a very common irritant to the body. So Mm. most of us aren't true celiac, but a lot of people are. And so distinguishing that is important because mm. if you are celiac, you do need to remove it forever. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people that are not celiac, but that are sensitive to gluten. And so that means it's causing an inflammation in your body. And a lot of times that's dose dependent. So some people can have some gluten, but not a lot of gluten. Okay. And some people can have certain forms of it. Like a lot of people find if they go to Europe, they can eat pasta and bread and have no problems. But when mm. they come back home here to the U S they can't even eat a basic piece of bread that's, you know, whole grain and the top quality bread that they can find. It's a completely different product. Hmm. And so sometimes there's particular sources that people do well with. And, you know, some people just can't do it at all. Some people can do small amounts and some people don't seem to be bothered by it at all. There's probably a lot of genetics behind that. There's probably a lot of other like bacterial influences and things that we don't even know yet but that's just the reality. It works really well for some people and really poorly for others and everything in between for the rest of us. Hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So as much as I could quiz you all day, I mean, you do have a life to get back to. So I'm, (laughs) so one question that I do want to ask you, because to, to your point, like this is such a individual thing. What would be one experiment that you would love for people to try in their day-to-day life to just get a better handle on what is correct for them? And, you know, huge thing, obviously a one would be to get in touch with you because they could find maybe you don't have a chance to run labs and stuff on a half an hour call, but you could at least help guide a little bit. But, but aside from that, what would be an experiment people could try to start figuring this out for themselves? 
I would say pick one thing and try it. So maybe that's go gluten-free. Maybe that's go grain-free in general. Maybe that's just going for a walk after your meals. It's amazing the tremendous change that can make on your blood sugar without changing your diet. Just go for it. And I'm not talking like a hour long speed walk, like walk around the block, right? You know, implement something really small. Maybe it's, you need to increase your protein, especially if you're a vegetarian or more plant-based eater, maybe try increasing your protein and see what that does to your overall cravings or energy or all of those things. But just pick one thing and try it for like two weeks. I was going to say like two weeks, three weeks, what two weeks to just see and notice, notice what happens. Yep. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh my gosh, Andrea. Okay. What have I not asked you that you would like, you want to shout from the rooftops that you wish everyone knew about this area of expertise you have? One thing I would say that was really pivotal, pivotal for me was really hone in on what's going on with your body. Really pay attention Mm -hmm. to it. Don't, you know, even if it's something that you've always written off as just, you know, like we were talking about earlier, oh, that's just me or that's just Mm -hmm. me getting older, even those things keep track of them and know that even if your doctor is telling you that everything is fine and all your labs are normal and everything is good, there might actually be more going on. Labs Mm -hmm. aren't perfect. And most doctors are comparing you to the average population. I don't know about you. I don't want to be like the average of most people's health. The vast majority of people in this country are very not healthy, very Mm -hmm. not healthy. Like the most recent research is showing that less than 6% of the population are truly metabolically healthy. I don't want to be compared to that average population because the average is very ill already. Mm. It just may not have risen to the level of a diagnosis, but they're not healthy. Mm. So if you don't feel well, regardless of what your doctor's labs are showing, keep digging, keep asking, keep researching, reach out to other experts, get other opinions, keep digging, follow the breadcrumbs, as you would say, Mm. and find the answers. Don't just give up. Don't let your doctor just tell you you're fine. Everything's normal. It's in your head, or this is normal part of aging. If you don't like it, keep digging, find an answer, find what's going on, because there is something going on if you don't feel well. Oh, Andrea, I love that. And I think, you know, what speaks to me is don't abdicate responsibility for your health, because I think so many of us, at least in my, in, you know, in, in our culture has been trained that the experts know. And by the way, they do, but what they know is the average, what they know is the general human body. They don't know your body. Like you are the expert on your body. They are the expert on bodies in general, right? So if you're not getting answers, that's not just, oh, I guess they're right. I guess this pain isn't anything, or I guess this weird gastrointestinal thing I get once a month, I guess that's nothing that I need to worry about. Maybe, but maybe not like, don't just go, oh, well, I guess they're the experts. So I'll just shut up and put up. I love that. Like it's, you are in charge of your health. No one else gets to, you don't get to abdicate it and just go, well, well, keep digging second opinions, speak to someone like yourself, find, you know, whatever, but yeah, don't just go, okay, I guess that's me. I'm just tired all the time. And just know that most doctors are looking for something they can diagnose. 
Mm-hmm. So they're looking for an imbalance that's so far out of whack that they can put a diagnostic code on it. But you could be really imbalanced without being that far out of whack. And if we can bring you back into the optimal range before you get to the diagnosable condition, it's going to be much easier. Well, and pre- preventative too, right? Like I, and I love Western medicine. Like I'm all about my doctor giving me antibiotics when I need them. And my doctors, are, you know what I mean? I, I love it. Love it. And it's not preventative though. Like I don't proactively meet with my GP and he's just like, so how's it going? Like that doesn't happen. I go in when I'm ill, but there's no preventative. Um, and not because they probably don't even want to, but it's a tapped out system and blah, 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 blah. So yeah, to your point, do you want to wait until you have type two diabetes or heart disease or, or like, or do you want to, maybe do a little bit before you need a diagnosis. Like, and again, I'm not saying everyone will end up with this diagnosis. It can just be, you want to feel better. That is a great reason too. Um, yeah, but I love that. Cause you're right. They're looking for a very off the charts imbalance that there's a label for, and let's be honest, a medication for of some kind. And maybe, yeah, maybe there, maybe you don't need to be at that point to change some things. Yeah. My goal is to try to educate people enough to know that they can take control long before that stage. There's a lot they can do after that stage. So it's not like you're a lost cause if you do have a diagnosis, but you don't have to wait for that diagnosis Mm. to start feeling better soon. Hmm. So good. So to your point too, like the one other thing I'd say, it sounds like people should maybe reach out to someone like you is also the experience you had of maybe there's a lot going on in your biological family of maybe your health is quote unquote, perfectly fine as far as you know, but maybe there's just enough stuff going on with heart disease or cancers or diabetes or other issues where you're like, maybe I do want to play the preventative game just for fun. Like just, just cause I know maybe my DNA might not have been the winning lottery ticket. Like maybe there's some stuff going on in there that I could do some prevention. Yeah. Yeah. And I think none of us have to live with, oh, it just runs in my family. Uh, No, no, no. There's so much we can do even with things that run in the family. What generally does run in the family is habits. We tend to eat the same food. We tend to do the same or not do the same level of activity. We tend to have the same habits as our families. It's not really that these diseases run in families. It's that our habits run in families. Oh, so good. Well, and science just keeps proving what, like what the woo woo folks have known, but like epigenetics, right. With like, yeah, you have DNA as a potential and then what happens next is what happens next. (laughs) Right. So it is not a guarantee in the family. Doesn't mean you can't take a little bit of control back with habits and yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. I could talk to you all day, but that will be not so good for you and you living your own life. So I'm going to close this off with our lightning round so we can get to know you just a little bit funkier and more gnarly and more weird. And then I want everyone to know where they can find you. So actually, let's start with where people can find you in case they're like, I kind of want to listen to a lightning round. Where can everyone find you if they need more of your wisdom and experience and expertise? The best place is my website. So healthylifewithandrea.com all spelled out. Um, that's where uh, you can link to my podcast, which is the healthy holistic health bites. 
bite-sized episodes that cover various health topics. Um, I also have an email list. I send at least one email a week with just additional healthy information, tips, that kind of thing. Um, blog articles, all of the things. Um, and you can of course reach me there as well. So good. And we will put the link here as well in the show notes. Andrew lightning round, lightning round. Okay. Ready? Yes. Drum roll. Okay. (laughs) Question one, sunrise or sunset? Ooh, sunset. Mm. Uh, who is one of your heroes? Ooh, so many heroes. Um, (laughs) you know, honestly, I would say my mom who adopted me, um, she has type one diabetes. So, you know, not really within her control, but she's Mm -hmm. been one of the major motivators in my life to pay attention to health because Mm -hmm. she has to, Mm. so that's been one of my great motivators for life. Oh, so good. Oh, I've never, I'm curious to know what your answer to this one will be. I feel like this would be a whole other thing, but about caffeine, but, uh, coffee or tea coffee. Oh, so good. Uh, if you could be any animal for a day, what are you going to be? Oh, I have to say a dog because you know, everybody loves dogs. So true. Mine's asleep at my feet. She's kind of smelly right now, but you gotta love her. Uh, if you had to eat one meal, only one for the rest of your life, what are you picking? Hmm. I would probably say salmon and some kind of vegetable. Nice. Uh, meditation or yoga? Yoga. If you won the lottery, what is the first thing you're going to spend some money on? A vacation, a trip of some sort. Uh, so what is the dream vacation or trip? Oh, you know, anything really. We went to (laughs) Italy a couple of years ago and I would love to go back and explore more Italy. Okay. More Italy. I like it. Um, okay. You're on a desert Island. You get to bring one book or one movie. What are you bringing? Ooh. Um, no, I only really read (laughs) educational books and I hardly (laughs) ever watch movies. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably something scientific. (laughs) Okay. We'll bring some textbooks. That's fair. Okay. Mountains or ocean mountains, winter or summer winter. Hmm. Nice. Okay. Last question. You have a billboard you get to put up in every urban center in the entire world. What message do you put on that billboard? Uh, that you have more control over your life and health than the rest of society would want you to believe. Round of applause. I love it. We'll get you that billboard. Andrea, my friend, I'm so grateful you gave me so much of your time and put up with my grilling. Like I, I had more, but I'm like, I gotta, I gotta stop just slamming <laughs> questions at her here. Um, I'm really grateful that you took the time and helped us understand a little bit more about the role nutrition plays in not just how, like how we feel, but like the broader, how do we actually feel in our life? It's not just Hmm, got some tummy troubles. Uh, there's so much in there. So I'm really grateful you gave us the one-on-one. It was so helpful. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Didn't well, feel like so a little. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and go, go check out Andrew's website. I'll put the link in here um, and get all more of her wisdom and tips and tricks and all the things. So thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Thank you.